Welcome to the Prescriptions Podcast, bringing TCM to mental health. All right, welcome back. Prescriptions again. I don't remember. Is this number seven? What is this? Um, I believe I so. Six or seven. Six, I think. At some point, we'll have to stop counting. But so it's glad to be back with Master Hong, Jessica, and Sean. And today's topic is pediatrics, little kids' minds, and shins. Yeah, I think I've been uh, thinking a lot more ever since we had that conversation with Dr. Deliver, who is a pediatrician and licensed acupuncturist at Yosan, and she kind of posed the question to us after we kind of told the idea of prescriptions, how can we make this happen for the kids that she treats and so many kids that we now nowadays in society that are dealing with mental health and just emotional issues. I think it made me think a lot about, um, so what is the most important thing that we would need to focus on to help a child with some sort of emotional issue? And it brings to mind several things. First of all, it makes me think about, basically, you have to take into consideration constitution, I think, more than just about any other factor. Uh, For example, a kid who doesn't get the right amount of skin-to-skin at at a certain point of his life when his brain's developing a certain way. Uh, Depending on constitution, that kid either becomes a serial killer who, you know, needs to make skin coats, or he becomes, uh, you know, somebody who either doesn't know how to deal with touch or craves touch too much, and all of that is based on constitution. So it it makes me think so much about how important it is for every child then to have the right tools to be able to manage and to kind of make order out of things because every kid is going to have a different ability and it reminds me how special TCM is because it's always individualized. So we're constantly thinking, uh, how do I treat this individual person? Not, oh, let me see a, a, a total group of symptoms and then you get this drug or you get this this or that. And uh, so I'm always thinking about how important or how great it would be if there were more mental health people grade school, preschool, that kind of thing, to right away start teaching you, okay, Jessica has that toy, I want it, and I'm upset. It's those points when you start teaching how to cope with stress. Great time to, like, reason with the child, be like, you know, we all just talk to them, but it also has a lot to do with what the mother is doing while she's pregnant, too. All that pre-heaven, she... Mm-hmm. every child has is basically telling you like what they need I feel like through but they don't know how what words to say mm-hmm. and it's a lot of how we react to their reaction like the laws of energy if you can't like yell at them and expect them to just like listen to you mm-hmm. even though you're going to be frustrated it's like raising a child I'm sure is not easy I, I'm under, almost 100% positive that it's not easy <laughs> because I only say that because I don't have a child so I don't know for sure, but, and like, if I think about it, how I was as a child, 
is that gonna come and haunt me for like my child, you know? <laughs> so that's exciting to think about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I completely agree with what you were saying. It's like the child comes and they already telling us very loudly who they are and what they they want to be, mm-hmm. but. Uh, we have an issue with expectation as a society, especially with parents and you know, general society as a whole. We kind of want to fit children into molds that exist prior to them ever being in, you know, inca- incarnated in, uh, like in this, on this mm-hmm. planet. We already made like a, a set a, uh, path for them and expect them to fit into that instead of like letting them tell you what they, they what they're here to do, what they're here for, and for me personally, when I look at a child, I'm, I'm they're not telling me that, like in t- words, but the way they behave, the way they interact with people around them, the way they are, just the way they are, speaks loud and clear and on an engine and on an uh, energetic level of what you know what they want to do. <laughs> so I think uh, being able to accept that acceptance, I think, is is an important step. Um, in Asian culture, we have a saying that. Uh, the parents give birth to the body, but the nature was given by heaven. So we, we say that, um, in a way, that w- that saying was used to tell parents like, calm down, don't don't put don't force your children to conform to whatever it is that you have in your head. You know, yeah. just be you know, just let the child be. You know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that concept of conformity is a real big proponent and why. You know, even more so recently, we're having a lot more of these diagnoses on children and medication given to children because we've, I don't know, been out of touch with some of the rhythms that you mentioned. And then also people, or whether it's the parents or the caregivers or the teachers, anybody who's kind of in authority with the children, maybe having their own uh, stuff going on or not even being given the right tools to interact with the children that way a lot of times I'm making the decision, oh, that kid has ADD or ADHD or some behavioral mood things and not always is like the question asked or even to your point, Jessica, like pre-verbal expression. um, Do we get to understand like what's really happening in these kids' worlds? We said earlier today it was going to be Libra Day, so I I have to go on the other side of the scale and and, uh, challenge you guys a little bit. I'm all down for letting one's character and expression, the freedom to express itself. But you have the flip side of the coin of whether it be because they're dealing with their own issues or what, that the very lenient parents who allow their kids to just basically run rampant. Um, There are those kids, there are kids who have no authority figures whatsoever and have very little respect for human life even sometimes Um, and I guess you know we we could categorize a myriad of other flip sides of the coin so if we take those little souls into consideration let's start first with you know what we'll just call the liberal kid, the kid that's allowed to Mm -hmm. do and be whatever. I think that there's a certain amount of danger for shen disharmony with that type of behavior as as well. Definitely. I think you have the 
probably over overly hardened um more um, sturdy in some concept the people that you're discussing that maybe are not having um the easiest of situations whether it's support group or um versus the people that have this severe openness they lead to potentially like easy downfalls or catastrophization whenever they have to deal with like hardships later on mm -hmm. growing up Trophy. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and I think it's just kind of like that's the extremes. And we need to hopefully, through our interaction or th as a society, bridge them a little bit towards the middle where then they are still as an expression because we know that as we prescribing, there's constitutional types and there's a propensity for kids to need to do what they um, so feel like it but within a structure mm -hmm. and still with consequences because that's the world we live in. Right. Mm -hmm. Structure is important for children, for sure. Mm. Can't just like let them do everything they want to do, but no, let them dream to be able to like do whatever they want to do. There's no limits to like, that's the thing is if we really set our minds to something, like we could do anything, like there shouldn't be really anything holding us back. If we're such powerful beings just as humans mm -hmm. to be able to manifest and like get through a lot of the things that are holding us back is just ourselves could be learned when, when you're very young. Mm. I think it's, even though we all feel it, it's also kind of understated once we get to the adult level. We don't really, I mean, every transition in our life is important and big, but that first seven years of your life, seven to 10 years of your life, is I think not always held in the same esteem as what it should be not even just mm. in regards to the parents but like the family dynamic the school like activities like you were saying sports or organized things it all can play into how a kid's positive or negative experiences imprint I don't think we really until maybe you know people have known for a while but I don't think we've really grasped how important that time frame was I think as science has brought us more things and we've had more case studies to look at and people have really delved into the psychosomatic parts of, of children um, you know I think just like acupuncture is having its wave right now the realization that so many things happen on a chemical level and don't change so you have to recognize it and give that person a tool that's something that we're really just starting to to grasp and kind of get I think th that can be seen in things like when people maybe do something horrendous and they're in on trial and everyone's talking about oh yeah of course you know they're crazy that's no excuse for what they did and and yeah, it's not necessarily an excuse, but it is a reason. And it's it's something that that person really couldn't help because his brain developed, his or her brain developed in that manner because of something that happened when they were a child. And that's a big concept for people to accept, you know, to accept that you could actually have something happen to you that you can't change as an adult. Um, and it just reminds me of so many of the other things that are kind of putting our country at polarity today. Um, 
it always comes down to a yin and yang, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. There's there's that, you know, give and take of every kind of situation. What kind of makes me really, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, is just kind of enthralled, is that, say, somebody who experiences divorce when they're a kid, they could become a bedwetter, they could get... Um, eczema <laughs> they could develop allergies there's just so many different ways that trauma can manifest again getting back to based on that person's constitution and the ability to have the tools to kind of take each of those patients individually and just observe and observe and observe until you figure out you know what's the root of this little person's issue and to be able to be there to help them move that through their body and give them tools to handle that just seems really, really exciting. We were talking in the car right over about how one of the, you know, outside of the constitutions that we'll be discussing through prescriptions, but just kids in general, they tend to be pure young and they have this growing, ever-changing um, excess of energy and if we can actually have these interventions that you talked about, Didi, during those periods of time, things will come on of all the symptoms that you mentioned and more so fast usually. Like they're so sensitive. Um, they don't have as much density built up into their body, so things come on really quickly. And if you create the right sort of intervention, whatever it is, it usually subsides. But the longer that it's kind of not taken care of or let it, gone on or there's another repeated theme it just adds another block or stagnation to it so it's amazing to see the healing power in kids if we just give it the chance yeah it's all about no again like Didi was saying it's about balance and approach in terms of how we assist children you know in their process of growing and becoming a part of the uh, becoming members of society uh, I think the issue we've been having with raising children in our society is that society has been changing and in ways that has altered the way we've traditionally raised children. Industrial so industrialized society have you know, kind of removed the support network away from the, the child-rearing you know, ways of doing things. Like the adage people usually say, it takes a village to raise a child. And that diversity of relationships that in traditional society a child would have had it would have a, a child in in the past would have lived with an extended family. It would have like parents, but then also aunts, uncles, no grandma, grandpas. So, with given within the diversity that human human beings bring into this world, just it just happened that if a, a baby is born with a certain constitution or a certain way of approaching society, if it can't get the proper support from the mother or the father, that would have been backed up. You know, like. And the aunt would have stepped in, or the grandmother would have stepped in and have taken a role to, to provide the, the appropriate support. But in an industrialized society, we are a nuclear family type of, of organization. There is none of that support. And you know, the child is born, and you're kind of stuck with the mom and dad, and the mom and dad is at work most of the day. You're at school, and you know, it becomes the school responsibility to raise you. And the school <laughs> once <laughs> is responsible for like training you to be good at eventually taking a factory job. <laughs> and so <laughs> the goal is, can you be obedient enough to work in a factory, working nine to five? So if you're not, 
then you're labeled as a problem, you're attention deficit, you're hyperactive. Mm. <laughs> but of course, we know from our medicine that children are primarily young. It's the fact that they are running around and playing all day is just that the body hasn't developed, you know, the the proper, you know, yin components of adults to actually control their young. So it's just from the way that the organs are set up, it just looks like they're hyperactive, but that's just the phase they're going through as children, you know. The spring of their life. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely. I love to be behind all that young, just collecting <laughs> it as they're running around, just throwing it. My, one of my favorite things to do is to lie in the middle of a jumper at <laughs> a little kid's birthday party and just collect the, the young that they're just mm. throwing away. One of the coolest uh, applications of kind of like that dynamic I saw recently was putting a kindergarten, I think it was, or a preschool, and I think it was a preschool, in kind of like a old phone um old folks home retirement home um mm. and it benefited it benefit. both mm. so much because wow. you see the spark in these elders who you know had kids of their own or grandkids even and anytime you're around that you're like oh, okay that turns on i gotta take care of them you gotta attend to them maybe they're not you know i can't move around as much and vice versa it gets the kids the same stability and like warmth and care that you talked about with that yin yang so i think mm. to huang's point we've lost even things like that where you don't have as many different types of elders even or types of generationals within one family so then okay i'm dealing with this issue or this person's not available i have another outlet to get any sort of support from or share a relationship mm. with also, it made me think of a book we had in class. It was called um, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. Oh. It's a section of books, but that one about the mom where she had the two uh, two sons. One, she had all that sport around her. The second time, they had moved, lost all the support, and that was the son that turned out to be this killer later on in life because mm -hmm. he was left alone. And We also don't necessarily consider treating people to the time in which they had the trauma mm. we always like trying to make our kids grow up it's like no we actually need to backtrack to when you were three and and treat you kind of like you're three at that point and that's mm. at least some of the practical things that they did too it's uncomfortable to deal with trauma and so a lot of people don't know what to do because there's no manual on you know parenting like the right way to do it and when you go back to the child it's, it's uncomfortable so people don't want to talk about it and they just let it go and hopefully it'll go away and it always comes out in one way or another um, but so many people using iPads and mm. electronics to mm -hmm. like babysit their child to to like occupy their mind so they're not mm -hmm. screaming in the car or like whatever b misbehaving and and the saying it takes a village to raise a child so we can't really blame the child for the villages not raising the child correctly mm -hmm. and then we want to give them all these pills so they can conform mm -hmm. to like the way that we want them to behave but what is that really doing to their bodies like at a s such a young age like what is that really doing to their bodies when we feed them these medications with everything that you just said Jessica but it also Libra again mm -hmm. it also makes me go back to what I think I may have mentioned in previous podcasts is is that all part of the plan 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just the other day, I just found out that apparently I have got to get a new driver's license or ID or something because of some chip I, I need to carry with me all the time to, to be in the state or in the country. And, and I started thinking, you know, why are they dragging it out? Just insert the thing in my head already, no. you know, because <laughs> I know that's coming. And so I often get conflicted when I hear myself being judgmental mm-hmm. about everyone's in their phones all these little kids know how to do more on that phone <laughs> than I know how to do they probably know how to fucking code or something like that and and I think about how much fun I had as a kid like having the you know, kids don't understand when you say oh you had to be in before the street lights came on like that's something that generations of Americans share and one day we'll be gone. Like that won't be a common thing at some point. So I'm constantly checking myself and going, all right, is this all part of the natural progression for where we're really gonna go? We already have smart houses. There's, they're already able to do things that they're not even ready to tell us they can do. Um, are they preparing these little kids to be the citizens of that time? And will I be doing a disservice to one if I try to bring them back to nature and balance them? I don't think that's a bad idea ever. <laughs> nature. But when there's no nature left, like... <laughs> I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> I don't want to be here if there's no nature. But <laughs> we won't. Yeah. Uh, it, like, I definitely see the the positives to technology and the information speed of information that we can get from across the country like you know you used to have to be able to wait a long time for the letter on the horse (laughs) like whatever (laughs) (laughs) and so that is really amazing it just seems a little bit more antisocial and then so when we get more antisocial then we don't know how to interact with other people and antisocial characteristics are um, relatable to serial killers and all that Mm. negative stuff but definitely there's pros and cons yeah Uh, the interplay of of nature and society (laughs) is a a complex thing Uh, I I think Taoists are uh, they're nostalgic of nature and so they, they like to uh, return to nature and you know and, and even in modern society we have a lot of people who's like oh I just want to go back to the old good old days live in the countryside and not have to worry live with nature and all that and l- leaving the cu- no, leaving no, the city <laughs> I don't want to live in the city anymore but the reality is that we we are social people and we live in very complex organized societies right so how do we deal with that we always have to go back to the fact that we are part of nature, that we came from nature, and w- nature is integral to us. Without nature, we will not exist. So in a society without nature, there would be no humanity, <laughs> just to say simply. But at the same time, in order to live in complex societies, we have to overcome the limitations of, of us living outside you know, this, the influences of nature, right? We, by going away from our natural instincts and developing complex social life, we have to have 
have to, in a sense, upgrade our software. So uh, social technology is uh, is as necessary as uh, you know as you know other forms of technology. So through anthropology, we've seen that as society developed, you know, from groups of like familial groups to like larger tribes, they had to develop very complex uh, social technology to manage all that. You know, with the aboriginals, with their moieties, and the way they develop. Um, groups of clans and stuff like that to ag agrarian society where you had the concept of kinships and um, ways of inheriting things so, so patriarchy came as a part of agricultural life and all that so now we're just taking new turns so we're, we're developing into a, a global species that, that, that numbers in the billions and we're living in, in a global village <laughs> with seven billion members whose actions impact each other in very intimate ways. And having to develop the social technology to deal with that, that is in itself a new challenge. And whether or not we can survive <laughs> this transition, <laughs> we, we haven't determined that yet. So um, right now, even right now, we're still dealing with the repercussions of our technologies with North Korea firing these missiles off its, you know, that those things are a reality even now after you know decades after the the cold wars you know the repercussions of having developed nuclear weapons still haunts us so will we survive that that in itself is a question and we can't answer that uh, the last time last major uh, change um, within this so-called social technology was the axial age the age where a lot of the philosophies that we still discuss today, the Tao Te Ching, the Confucian, no classics, all that, within the East, within the West, everywhere, where complex social organizations had developed, there had to be people who come in and develop new social programs. You know, it teaches us ethics, teaches us, oh, this is how you behave, these are good things. And it is because of those changes that we developed, we were able to maintain complex social organizations. Right, so now we're in this new chapter. I don't know what <laughs> it will come. <laughs> we can hope for the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the question that you got me thinking about, TV was just the rate, and I think that's kind of what Wong is attesting to is the how fast the society is changing. Because I don't think that it. I believe it's inevitable too. The changes that are going to come, but have we been able to prepare the youth within it? Because I mean, my generation was kind of the last to be able to sort of deal with more of the real rapid or more complex technologies and still have that kind of like natural or um, you get outside and play sort of thing and still was young enough to take in a lot of the technology and really fly with it. But I'm now becoming a parent or like in that time range where all my friends and people are becoming parents. But before that, you had a lot of these parents that had never experienced any of those types of um, technologies and how they interacted or affected the world with kids that are totally immersed in it, too. So that's this is kind of the first um, reactionary creation of that, where I think over time with parents that are more in tune to what it can cause, both good and bad, can then help the children a little bit more transition. I think, you know, each society or each generation has used whatever their technology is that they've been given to babysit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my mother's generation had the radio. 
I had TV. TV. You know, sure. other kids had the next generation. My brother's generation had video games and so on and so on and so on. So, um, you know, we've survived so far, I guess. I guess yeah. we'll make it the rest of the way. But um, the scary part is that it's so advanced now and so fast. And I think that it will be interesting to see. I think I'm at a good age where, you know, by the time I'm ready to go, I will have seen, you know, things like the people who were around for World War One and lived to be 100 or something, that kind of scope of change on the planet. And um, I'll, I can already see it in your generations, and it's very obvious in, in the everyone got a trophy generation, like the things that, that they are impatient with, with society. Um, and it will be really interesting to see what the children of your friends who are having kids right now, or we all have um, friends who have just recently had babies. Shout out to the little babies. Your son, baby. It will be interesting to be an old woman in my, you know, cyber rocker, kind of seeing how they are interacting with the world. But to bring it back to our topic, we there are a lot of different ways that we can treat children and we can treat you know the newly born to adulthood and um, for those of you out there who are like acupuncturists no one's sticking a needle in my kid well we have a lot of different kinds of needles we have uh, things that have flat sides and you use them to take heat out of a child or to help regulate their three different jowls as we call them top middle and, and lower um, we can do herbs, and we talked about basically how we would do the same type of general intake and diagnosis, but for a little person, and then you you alter the amount of herbs that you put, the dosage in, in that particular formula. Um, and I guess I could even put it in their formula. Huh? <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice one. <laughs> And to that point of the formula, I think one of the things we were talking about on the ride over, besides the Pierre Yang, was the general spleen chi deficiency. So with any of the formulas that we're um, looking to prescribe, we would take that into consideration. And, and it's something I think it, now that where more people are getting a handle on their diet or at least understand nutrition a little bit, even though there's a lot to go, um, I think we fell away from that or we just didn't know or had the resources um, to know just how much our kids and their reactivity and all the things that we've discussed so far has so much to do with what they're eating. And it makes such a big difference when you, s you know, I, I understand that there's a time and place, but like when you give the kid, you know, the sugar, a lot of the desserts, whatever, and then all of a sudden they're, you know, acting out a lot more comparable to, um, when you create a structured routine and time and amount and just even at the very uh, infant level, integrating food slower and in succession to see how they react. Um, and a lot of times the babies will change very quickly uh, in their skin, for example, as mm -hmm. we know, or in their stools. Um, so diet, I think, is a big thing that we can also help people with. For all of us. Yeah, everyone. But kids are so, some can be so sensitive to food. 
it's like I know when I was a child I didn't want to eat anything like different than what I was used to but that was definitely looking back on it something that I wish would be different because just it's a part of life eating different kinds of foods instead of just hamburger ketchup only <laughs> that's what I would do at like McDonald's everyone has a hamburger ketchup only <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those um, those aspects of the constitution are important um, and then you had mentioned shonishin that was the <laughs> non-invasive treatment um, which is kind of based in uh, Japanese style acupuncture but even still um, I worked with a five-year-old the other day and he got needled um, and our teacher you know talked about even on his kid as young as four so it's I think just as long as they're the ones in the decision-making um, which is also important in starting to take care of your health and be aware of your health um, okay we can do shonishin we can just do herbs we can do needling we can just do dietary and start to have these kids also be advocates for themselves and get mm. educated about right. you know oh I feel this way this means this mm. it's also about educating the parents I believe uh, mm. yep <laughs> uh, our our society because we're so we've, we've lost all this social support we, we need now we can step in and become part of that support system in terms of sharing our knowledge about how you know how activities can affect kids how diet can affect kids and we can give um, we can help parents you know a adjust their expectations for their kids if we see that their kids is tendency toward more of a young tendency tell the parents to let them exercise more run around more do more activities you know simple things and I think parenting is a journey in itself and and as parents raise children they learn oh yeah my kid is super active. I have to take him to karate class. <laughs> Let him run around, kick, kick, and do all that. And then he'll, he'll calm down. <laughs> so, yeah. we yeah. In the same way that we can offer um, uh, consults to our patients, we can offer consult to parents in terms of how, from our perspective, looking at the child and our understanding of the child's physiology, what type of activity is best for the child, what type of food is best for the child. It's interesting. I'm not trying to compare children to animals or anything, but in like dog training, especially if you have like a big dog and they're acting out all the time and you're leaving them in a crate all the time, they're going to like want to tear things up they're, They need to get rid of that energy, use it in some way. Um, something like positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcement, not saying like, Oh, you did this wrong, but like, when they do something right, praise them for that. And that will have something to, to positive um, reactions or uh, outcomes on the child. So instead of feeling shame for doing something wrong, they'll feel proud of themselves for doing something right. I mentioned this earlier, but I'll put it out there just to speak it into existence and also early advertisement but uh, an idea for prescriptions at one point as we've talked about potentially doing um, community acupuncture kind of mm. pop-ups to interact with the community and uh, offer acupuncture outside of the herbs um, workshops so some of the things for parents and kids 
we've learned the touch um, kind of healing touch with a spoon and toothbrush and hair dryer and hair dryer um, and the Shonishin thing or pediatric massage um, and just creating that bond too of parent healing child and child accepting that healing and um, that only deepens their bond too but also empowering the patients and as the parents to feel comfortable with what to do because a lot of times like you were saying Huang they're still figuring out especially mm-hmm. it's their first kid right. and whether they're calling the pediatrician mm-hmm. all the time or calling the um, TCM practitioner um, things are occurring so rapidly with them too that offering a little bit of help to them to be able to become in tune with their child is important it's a great vision i already had a vision of having a night where you come with your pet and get um, needled together (laughs) so why not come with your kid and get needled together as well definitely okay outside of um you know, uh, we talked a lot about like society and then, then the parents. Um, but even considering now, you kind of mentioned the, the kids, like how do they see their progression and wha- what do we teach them and where can we integrate integrate with school? Um, what about just the herbs themselves? Like how do you feel like kids are open to the idea or the taste or taking them or... Uh, interacting with them this is a lot different when you can't even explain something like let's say an adult would ask you when you're prescribing them a formula well, I'm thinking about what Hong said earlier that uh, the two yins of us didn't like the taste of their herbs but the two yangs of us did so right. hopefully they wouldn't really mind but you know kids don't don't like the taste of too much stuff in general like Jessica said it takes a while for most kids to develop their palate mm-hmm and decide what they really like or don't. And a lot of times it's based on how it looks or how the name of it sounds mm-hmm. and you know maybe how it smells. You're not, you're not having any of that. And herbs are very strong, but um, with the smaller dosages, I'm sure you know it's comparable. Little person, little dose still seems strong. But uh, I would envision like eventually being able to make little mini spleen tonic kind of popsicles or something like that that aren't that are maybe like sweetened with honey or say something like that um to 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 be a way to introduce herbs to them and say like oh you get three suckers a day kind of thing uh to make it something they look forward to um little thoughts like that in my head of kind of ways to get kids to I mean it's it's not new western medicine has added sugar to things to make things taste better to kids but I think if you if you let them know this has medicinal properties but these are natural herbs that that the kid will be more turned on to the idea and even if you take the time like I've only treated one child, but um, in order to do that, what I did was let her hold the needle in her hand, let her see the needle, let her put the needle in her own arm as much as she was comfortable so she could see how 
how much pain she inflicted herself and when I did it and it didn't hurt. Um, it took away the stigma and the scare of the needle. So I feel like there are ways, if you want to work with children, that you can educate them. Maybe you, you take them to that iPad and you show them what it looks like when it's a plant. And you say, what I'm about to give you started out like this. And you, you let them be part of the process of knowing that nature can heal you and you don't have to take artificial things that are harsh on your body. Um, if you were even half of the type of little kid that I was, you would have been like running to the library the next day to kind of learn more about herbs so that the next time you saw your herbalist or your acupuncturist, you could say, and I learned about this and maybe I need these and you know, that kind of thing. And I, I think that children, if you make learning exciting and you give them an opportunity to participate in it, not just throw it at them, then they're very receptive and, and they like to try things. I think that's amazing and, and brought, me, brought me back to a quote of, I think it was the Dalai Lama, was like if we taught uh, one generation of eight-year-olds all how to meditate, like so many things would mm. totally be eradicated. So the same concept of however we can make um, self-healing alternative forms of healing approachable to children their advocacy for themselves going forward is going to be exponentially better um, and a lot of times they they know a lot more credit you know credit to them than we think they do about their bodies and how they're feeling and they're so open to um, I think nature at a time like I just went on a hike with my nephew and whether it's a new smell or a new color or a new shape. I mean, they're learning all that stuff already. And now you have this plethora of um, plants and herbs to talk about, like, so easy. We all want a kid right now. <laughs> <laughs> Baby fever. I think kids would be open to hearing about energy and chi that's, like, them everything is chi if you explain it to them in a different way like the most basic stuff from like when school starts when we have like the foundations it's so intuitive like oh you have a heat condition we're gonna like cool you down you need your cold we warm you up but you know we release the exterior um i just remember being a child and f having this feeling like there's something that we're not talking about like nobody talks about your chi or your energy. I'm like, but I can feel this, but like it's not material necessarily. Like, yeah, this material table is chi. It's atoms moving, you know, working together. And if we kind of just like explain it in the most basic way, I think that mm -hmm. that would benefit them growing up, understanding that like, I'm really angry right now. What is this? Oh, it's just... It's just she, and it's not me, you know, and process it in a normal way. It's like if we, like that generation of kids meditating, we can like start that, you know, by it's up to us. The kids aren't going to just meditate by themselves. <laughs> we need to like teach them how to do it. Yeah, so I like to touch on both points that you guys made. Uh, so in terms of kid-friendly preparations of herbs, yeah, they've always been, you know, 
everybody had children. So in the past, they had to tackle with the problem of how, of how do you get the medicine to the kid. So growing up in Asian culture, I ate a lot of candies. Like there's like a little ume, ume one, that tastes exactly like candy. So I ate a bunch of them. But literally, I know that this is actually given to children as an anti-parasitic, so that they get the worms out of them. But they didn't know they were taking medicine. They thought it was like candy. And genius. Genius, yeah. yeah. And then there's also like pipayagao, which is this cough syrup. And children like want to eat it. It's like, because it tastes so good with all the honey in it. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, when a child needs to take herbs, there are definitely approaches we can take to make it more palatable to them and make them like the taste. Uh, of course, you always tell them this is medicinal and it's not candy, you know. <laughs> and then on the other hand, about uh, kids and especially the new generation of kids that we're seeing now, I'm quite optimistic, actually. You know, sometimes we see the dark side of society. We see the, you know, the problems that we live through and the problems with the shootings right now and all that. Yeah, it seems very glim. But then when I look at children nowadays growing up, especially the children of, of millennials, Right? I'm very optimistic. They're very aware of what's going on, and they're very aware of what they're eating. You know, sometimes they say, oh, no, I, I don't eat meat. I don't want to eat meat. They're making very conscious choices of, of what they want and what they don't want. And they say, I like to meditate. I like to go on walks. So it's not, nowadays, it's not, it's not uncommon to encounter a kid who is like, we think like, wow, you're a very enlightened kid. <laughs> yeah, like you, you're making a lot of conscious choices for your lifestyle. It's like I'm, I'm amazed at that because when I grew up, I ate cereals out of a boxes and I watched TV. <laughs> that was, <laughs> you know, was a good time. that was a good time. <laughs> but nowadays, you're telling me you don't eat meat because it's, it's not mm -hmm. friendly to the animals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like wow. You don't still eat cereal and watch TV? No, not anymore. <laughs> it, it pushed me close to diabetes. I was like, no, no more of that. <laughs> and like, like you're saying, uh, it's a good thing that you brought up about living to the point where you're seeing the last generations of, um, of, the wor um, of World War I you know, you know, veterans living to their hundreds. Uh, from an astrological perspective, this generational cycle, the, what we saw as as a move toward sterilization, like living better better through chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. This evolution that pushes further and further from nature mm -hmm. and into a sterilized chemical world um, was was started by the generation that you know that won the world war, uh, the generation you know um, that kind of pride themselves on rationalism, the ability of using the human mind to conquer nature. And what is happening now is that we're returning to the, op we're at the opposition of that point where the generation we're giving birth to uh, is actually opposing that generation. So we call that the Pluto in, in Gemini, who began this entire cycle toward you know chemical, better living. And now we're seeing kids who are like, I want to do yoga. I want to go on walks in nature. So that's the the Pluto in uh, Sag generation that we're having coming up. And when I talk to them, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm always amazed. So I'm very optimistic for our future. Me too. Yeah. I just hope that those kids get a chance to integrate with the kids who don't have those opportunities. So it's not like one against the other. Yeah, because it, it will then just perpetuate the privileged 
versus the non-privileged. And that's why the idea of doing kind of pop-up community things in areas where a kid doesn't even know that acupuncture exists or what it is, or even like, say, in the Latin communities where everybody knows what acupuncture is and they will bring the whole family mm -hmm. to enjoy it. And if you give them herbs, they will take them. Um, just being able to kind of in you know spread that enlightenment is something that seems really exciting to me that hopefully we will as prescriptions do and i think that rounds out the you know premise of our whole conversation and how we talk about our medicine is the seasonal changes whether you're talking you know astrologically societally um you know or how certain advancements come about they're going to change the youth and working with something that's based in seeing them constitutionally you can always support that even if we've never um, seen or dealt with the evolutions of the next group because that's always a challenge for the people that are in control of rearing them and and just kind of another message for you know people we're all responsible for raising all the children everywhere and I think it's important to remember that just like one man's trash is another man's treasure, one child's trauma is another child's meh, you know, and being observant uh, will help you understand like what that child's constitution is and whether it is a, a trauma or a meh. Because it could be something as simple as, you know, stepping on an ant might really traumatize one kid. And another kid is just like, uh, sorry that happened, but he on they go, you know. Definitely. I remember one time I like would e I could eat an ant. Like <laughs> 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 what? I used to eat ants at one point. <laughs> Protein. Protein. <laughs> lactic uh, lactic acid is like lemonade. Right? <laughs> I think it's important to listen to the kids because um, they're going to be speaking non-verbally um, and even not just kids but adults anyone any human wants to be heard you know heard and seen and valued and she got to pay attention to the kids you know it seems like so easy but I don't think that it is everyone has all their stuff that's going on mm -hmm. you know Well, any final thoughts as we wrap up? I think we touched on a lot of great things today. Power to the kids. No? Power to kids. Power to the Yay. kids. Thank you all for listening once again. And um, don't forget to come back next new moon. Mm -hmm. Ish. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> once a month. <laughs> Prescriptions. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Thanks for, for tuning in. in. Until next time, salut.